It's so good to see you. Grab your Bibles, your devices. Today it is Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 1. We took a little break from Romans last week. We talked about prayer. And in saying that, I would like to say thank you for joining us this week for prayer. Today, we continue in tonight at midnight, and we want to say thank you so much. Well over well over a hundred of you or more than that, more than that, signed up to take an hour this week. And we want to say thank you for praying through this week, for joining us every day at noon for prayer at noon. You can find those also on our Facebook page if you want to kind of go back over those this week for the theme each day. But I want to say thank you for praying with us also. So today, Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 1, and we will finish our teaching this morning with the Lord's table, with communion. So hang on, don't leave, just just hang around for a moment. So I have a question for you. I start with a question today, and the question is this, why do I still struggle with sin? I don't know if you have ever asked that of you as a Christian. You say, well, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, so why do I still struggle with sin? Why, when I pray, does my mind wonder? I, you know, I, I know you've had that issue. We all have. We're all human. Whether you're sitting at he, in here praying or you're sitting at home through church at home, that you're wondering, hey, you know, why, why does my mind kind of go other places when I am praying? And that happens. So during worship, whether you're here or you're at church at home, then why does, I, you know, why do I lose focus during the middle of worship? And why am I struggling to love a person who has hurtly deep? who deeply hurt me, and, you know, I shouldn't feel this way in my heart. Now, I don't know if you ever had that thought as a Christian, but you have these feelings toward other people, and you say to yourself, but I'm a Christian. Why do I feel that way? You know, why am I angry, or why do I sometimes even want revenge? Because I'm a Christian. I should think differently, and I I should behave differently, is is what we would say to ourselves. So I've got to change my behavior, be a little better person, and that's going to make me feel better about all this. But why do I still struggle with sin in my life? Well, today in chapter 6, Paul, man, he, he addresses that so powerfully to you and I. And I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you leave here with an understanding this morning of why, as a Christian, you still sin. It's important to understand I want to borrow a story as I begin from Tony Evans. It's a powerful story. It's kind of funny. Not a true story, I don't think, but yet, well, here's the story, and it kind of leads into what we're going to talk about today as I borrow this story from Tony Evans. It's a story of a guy who visited nutritionists, and he says to the nutritionist, nutritionist, I need some help with my diet, is what he says. And so the nutritionist says, okay, what's your problem? And the man said, well, every time I go to the grocery store, I find myself wanting to eat dog food. Now, I, I, that's a problem, correct? Yes, that's a vitamin deficiency is what that is. So he says, every time I go to the grocery store, I find myself wanting to eat dog food. And when I walk in, I feel drawn to the dog food aisle. And, and when I'm there, I look at all the pictures of the dogs on the bags, and I want to run, and I want to play with them, you know, kind of deal. And then I fight it till I can't fight it any longer, and then I rip open a bag of dog food, and I start eating it on the aisle. And he said to the nutritionist, also, during some of those times, I bark, I howl, I lay on my back, and I beg people to scratch my belly, you know? And, and, and so I got this picture of this, you know, grown person doing this, I did. And so the nutritionist says, well, that sounds like a dietary challenge. How long has that been going on? And the man replied, ever since I was a puppy, okay? Now, that's the, that's, I, I, it's not the funniest story. I realize that, you know, 
But it has a really good meaning. It does. Because some things in my life require more than a behavioral adjustment. There are things in my life and your life that require more than just a behavioral adjustment. They start with, they start with believing who you are in Christ. And, and that's where we're going to start. And that's really what Paul is teaching us a lot through this teaching this morning is who you are in Christ. It's not about how you feel in those moments where you just don't feel Christian. And we have those times within our lives. We do. And, and I, what it's, it's not about that, but it's about simply believing who you are in Christ. Because I believe sometimes we judge the work of God in our lives by our own behavior. As if somehow being a Christian means that I never act unchristian. And that's not the truth. That's not it. But when we go to Scripture, we realize, hey, I look at the Bible and I realize that I've transitioned from death to sin, death and sin in my life, to that of life in Christ. I realize I've made that transition. I'm walking this road. And we've talked about these terms before. This term we call vivification. Vivification simply is that moment of conversion within your life. I find that I'm converted. And then there is that moment in my life later on, either when Christ returns or when I die, that glorification. So I'm walking this road of sanctification this morning within my life. And I'm not perfect. And the scripture tells me that while I'm walking that road, I still belong to Christ, but I still act like the world at times. How does I have a hard time dealing with that understanding that the scripture says I belong to Christ while I'm walking this road between that of my conversion and my glorification. I'm walking this road of sanctification. I belong to God, but I still act like the world at times in my life. And I just don't feel it. I just don't feel it. I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you've ever said to yourself, man, I should have responded differently to that person. Why did I, why did I lose my cool and say those things? I regret what I said. I'm a Christian. I expect more out of me than to do those things. So why did I respond like that? It's Romans 6, verse 1. Paul helps us with an understanding of this this morning. What shall we say then, he says? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, is that the answer? Because I kind of like that question. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And that's the struggle, I think, of our lives. Do we not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So I go back to this statement. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What kind of question is that? You know, what is that really what he means that I'm going to sin? I should really start sinning more so that God's going to give me more grace. And if that's what Paul is saying, then let the debauchery begin, right? Let it begin, man, because there's some sins that I've always really wanted to experience in my life. So if he's saying that the more I sin, the more grace I get, then I'm going to really go for this and I'm going to give it my best shot. But you have to start with those four or those five first words of verse one. He says this, what shall we say then? That's important because that frames this because what he's doing, he's addressing a potential false conclusion because thus far, in these first five chapters, Paul has been talking to you and I about this enormous grace that God gives us. 
He's been saying to us, it's not about your works, but it's about grace. It's about faith in that of what Christ has done for you. And that the reality is that your faithfulness is not found in your own goodness, but your faithfulness is found in God. And so he addresses this says, hey, wait a minute. I want to get this straight before we move any further about this enormous grace. I got to clean this up because says the problem with you and I, and he's writing to church people in Rome, remember, the problem is this, that we continue to sin. The problem is that sin continues to reign within our lives. So where's the transformation? Where's the transformation? He says the point is that you continue to practice sin over and over in your life as Christians. Now I have to say this. There's grace. So don't ever dismiss that in this teaching. That there is absolute amazing overwhelming grace. Understand that. But when we look at this and we say, but we still remain under the power of sin, then I ask you, how are you contending? And how are you battling that sin of your life? And how you are struggling with the sin of your life? Or does sin reign over you? And that is what he's saying. If you go back one chapter, chapter 5, verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of, of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Who is reigning? That's the point. That's what he's saying to you. That's the point. Who is in control of your life? Who's in control of my life? Because when we look at this, what I realize is that I cannot continually live in both spaces of sin and grace when my life, I can't continue to live there simultaneously for long periods of time is what he's teaching us. I can't do that because we have died to sin. Now, don't leave right now because if you leave or if you go to another sermon, if you're watching from church at home, then you're going to leave with a whole lot of guilt Because I just said to you, hey, you've died to sin and you can't live in these spaces simultaneously of sin and grace for long periods of time. I want to clarify that for you in a moment. I want you to have an understanding of what Paul is teaching us. Paul uses the metaphor of baptism. Next Sunday morning, we celebrate one of the ordinances of the church. The first ordinance would be what we're going to do today, and that is communion. And the second would be that of water baptism. So he uses the metaphor of baptism to clean this up for you and I. He says, just as death reigned over your physical body, so sin was reigning over your spiritual life before conversion. And at conversion, you die to sin. That's what we exemplify to people when we come and present ourselves for water baptism. We're saying that we have died to sin and we are raised in Christ and we are a new creature. And what we're saying and declaring is this, that sin no longer has power over us. That we're no longer under the power of sin. You say, Mark, that leaves me in a really bad place when you say that. I'm no longer under the power of sin. Because I sinned this morning, right? So where does that wait? Don't leave yet. Don't go to another sermon yet. You got to hang on. Because when I begin to read through this chapter, I see verse 6 says, Sin is brought to nothing in my life. I look down to verse 11. Dead to sin, alive to God in Christ, it says, Paul's saying. If I go down to verse 14, which is our last verse today, 
Sin is no longer the master of our lives. That's what we need to hear. As a believer, understand this. Sin still affects you. Do you realize that? Sin still affects you. Don't leave. Hang on for just a moment, right? We still sin at times in our life. But here is the part that you're going to write something, write this. But sin has become a force tempting me. It's no longer a power that controls me. Sin has become a force in my life that tempts me, but it's no longer a power that controls me. Understand that. But how can I, how can we still be under the power of sin and be a believer? Sin has lost its control over our lives. We battle it, yes. We succumb to it at times, yes we do. That is truth. But it has lost its power over me at conversion. That's important that you understand this. Let me explain it to you a little more. Because I think that we all struggle with the question of if I'm a Christian, why do I still sin? Why do I still do things that I know that are wrong? And, and here's the way I would explain this to you. Before conversion, sin was the eternal power in your life that drove everything that you did. It simply flavored your thoughts, your behavior, and your actions. Sin before, before conversion, sin was the in, in, internal power of your life. Christ at that time was the external power of your life. Before conversion, sin is the internal power of your life. Christ was the external power of your life. Following conversion, Christ has now become the internal power of your life. He reigns over your heart and your mind and your actions. He does. Sin is now the external part, power of your life trying to defeat you. I hope that helps you to understand. It shows that at conversion, there is a real change in our lives. That prior to conversion, that sin is the internal part of our life that drives us. Christ is outside of our lives, showing us grace and mercy and love. He's convicting us when, we are, when we're wrong. We come to Christ, then there is this switch, there is conversion. And all of a sudden, Christ becomes the internal power of our life. It drives our thoughts and our minds and our actions. Sin is still working on us. What does sin want to do? Sin wants to regain the place that it once held within our lives. Control. And so Paul says, hey, here's what you have. It's a theological term we use. It's called union with Christ. And when, when, if you're going to be baptized next week, and I encourage you, listen, if you have not followed Christ in the example of baptism, if you were baptized as a child and, and you were not making a public profession of faith, I encourage you to go online today, call the church office this week, send us an email, sign up for baptism. It's so powerful because baptism symbolizes, symbolizes that we have died to our old self. And it's simply this. It's our power to resist sin and seek repentance in our life. It's the presence of God within us, the union of Christ in our lives. That's now the, now the new internal power of our life. It's what helps me. It's what empowers me. It's what gives me the ability to now say no to sin in my life. It's what it is. It's a continued work of Christ. Listen, Christ's work on the cross was complete. Absolutely. His work was 
uh, complete upon the cross, but it is perfected in my life at the moment of glorification. When he returns, I meet him either through death or that of his return that is perfected in my life. But what I realize in this world, sin no longer reigns over me. It no longer masters my life. It is now an outside force trying to destroy me. Yes, absolutely. And that is for some of you this morning, for you to realize, even though you are a Christian, you still battle sin. You still fight it as a temptation And you still succumb to it sometimes in your life. But that does not mean that Christ does not reign in your life. That's what you need to hear. I was raised, you know, I'm so thankful for for my ecclesiastical, my church background. I'm so thankful for that. But I was raised in an environment that as a believer... At the moment that I would sin, at the moment that I would sin, you know, whatever it might be, that immediately I was separated from God and I had to immediately make sure that I repented because my eternity was weighing in the balance of that. And so my relationship with God was not out of love, but it was simply out of fear. I... I pray that this brings some stability to you this morning. As I read this, man, I was excited, you know. I was, I was just like jumping out of my chair at home in my office when I was reading this because I realized that so many of us question our relationship with God because we've had bad thoughts or because we've said the wrong thing or we find ourselves in a moment of sin and we think, well, there's no way I'm a Christian if I ever even have this thought again. And you find yourself defeated because you find yourself on the struggle bus of life. Can I tell you, thank God you're on the bus, right? Thank God that you're on the bus this morning, that you're struggling and you're contending with the sin of your life because God reigns in your heart and your life at conversion. Realize that. Oh, let me read this text to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 13, here's what it says. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful underline that it's not on your faithfulness or your goodness. God is faithful and he will not let you to be tempted above your your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Listen, I encourage you about baptism again. I'll say it one more time. If you are ready to proclaim that Christ reigns in your heart, that sin is no longer the internal power of your life, but it's an external power that you deal with on a daily basis, then it's time for you to make that proclamation through water baptism next Sunday morning. It is absolutely important for you that you have a new king. Understand that who reigns as the center of your life. And we celebrate that today at the Lord's table. We celebrate that today, next week at water baptism because his death and his resurrection are inseparable. Because what his death says that it's the destruction of the old. His resurrection is the inauguration of the new within my life and your life. Then what I realize is this, that we have a new king that sets at the very center of our lives. Verse 5 says this, Paul says, verse 5, chapter 6, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, I circle that part, death like his, because I know enough of the Bible to know how Jesus died. 
And so when we read that text, you're looking around thinking they're going to bring out the crosses now, you know, and I don't want any part of that. And no, we're not going to bring out the crosses. We keep them in the back room with the snakes. So here's the thing, right? That, that that's not what this is about. We keep on reading that we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this, a death like his. It's a likeness. It's not a copy, but it's a form of that. That for us, this is a spiritual death. It's a spiritual death reflected by the death of simply actions and thoughts within our lives. And what I realize is that we're united with his death tells me that when he uses that term, it tells me that he's serious about who reigns in our lives. He's absolutely serious about who reigns in our lives. It's not something that you and I can take lightly. That we have a new king, and the reality is that sin is no longer our ruler. And when I begin to read this and research this, what I realize, and, and i got to get through these texts, they're so powerful, there's so much here, that what I realize is that we are such a new creature in Christ We don't even belong to this culture. We don't even belong to this age. We're so new that our whole existence is new. How do you see yourself? How do you really see yourself? I think that's where we start. And why do I, you know, as a Christian, why do I still struggle with sin? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself still struggling with sin as the master of your life? Or do you realize that conversion, that Christ reigns in your life and he is now the master of your life? Look at verse 6. It says this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must, and I underline this word, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. As a Christian, I wrote this, as a Christian, my next thought is this, that As a Christian, I don't always feel different. I don't always feel different. Man, I'm not always going around feeling like God is reigning in my heart, right? And and I can say no to everything that comes my way. and, And I can always conduct myself completely biblically, you know, in line with what God would want me to do. I never lose my, I I never lose my temper. I never say words that I shouldn't say to other people. I never yield to temptation. As a Christian, I don't always feel different. Can we talk about that for a moment? Because I've heard all that Paul has had to say in this chapter. And I think that we have to be human for a moment, right? We have to realize that there's still somebody in our life that we really desperately want to throat punch. Isn't that true, right? Yes, there's still somebody in our life that we just can't stand to be around. And, and I think we have to get away from stop having those church lady moments within our life and to realize this, that sin has lost its rule in my life and your life, but it has its ability. It still retains its ability to deceive me, to beguile, to beguile me, and to mislead me. Understand that. But verse 11 says, but you also must consider. And Mark, there's there's oftentimes I just don't feel it within my lives. And he uses this word consider. The word is, I don't want to be too academic, but the word is an accounting term. 
And it, what it means is this, that you, you look at one thing and consider it in light of something else. That I look at those moments in my life that I just don't feel Christian. That I look at those moments in my life that I've lost it. Maybe I've said things that I, I shouldn't say or had thoughts I shouldn't have. I look at those moments where I'm just not feeling it in my behavior, in my thoughts. And I see those moments in the light of the truth of who Christ says I am in him. That's important. And what he has done to back up those words about what he has said and who I am, he backs up those words with that of his work and actions upon the cross and his resurrection and leaving an empty tomb. So it's not how I feel, but it's how I believe. That Christ is now the internal power of my life. Sin has become this external temptation that I struggle with. It's, but it's not how I feel. It's, it's how I believe. So Mark, what if, you know, I don't know how you feel as far as eschatology, that of the return of Christ. And maybe you believe in that rapture, of, he will rapture the church. And before the great tribulation, or you're, or you're a post tribulation person or you just believe in hey jesus is going to come back when he's ready because he's god you know and i really don't have a clue as to exactly when that's going to be but wherever you fall in any of those lines you know we always had this thought as a kid i always thought what if i'm in the middle of one of those struggles and jesus returns what's going to happen to me right what if i'm in the middle of a struggle of my sin what if i'm struggling with that thing in my life and I'm grappling and battling with that to resist that in my life. And Christ returns. What's going to happen to me in life? Where will I be in eternity? And I say to you today, Christ rules in your life at that moment of conversion. Understand that. And if you, he comes back and you're in the middle of that struggle within your life, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, is what I would say to you. That's it. You see, Abraham, we've already talked about him, and, and I'll tie all this in together, that Abraham, God counted to him as righteousness because of his belief. I understand that. His belief became the power that enabled him to walk in righteousness. It wasn't that he always got it right. Listen, this is the guy that lies to two kings and tells them that his wife is his sister, right? And that's never a good thing. That's never a good thing at all. No, he's childless, yet God reminds him of the promise that he is going to be the father of many nations. What is that all about? Because it's about faith. We believe even when what we see says otherwise within our life. It's not how I feel, but it's how I believe that I understand God's work within my heart and my life, and he reigns within my life, that I consider myself as this term that Paul uses, I consider myself dead to the power of sin. I struggle with it, but it no longer masters my life. We're justified by faith. Why wouldn't we have this idea that we continue this journey by faith? We walk through sanctification by faith in what God has done for me. But Mark, I still feel the power of sin in certain areas of my life. I still deal with the same sin over and over within my life. And so how can I 
Say that I'm dead to sin if I'm still dealing with this. What do I do in those moments? You believe. You consider. It's exactly what Paul is saying. You believe in what God has done within your life. And that sin is not mastering you. But yet that sin is that temptation in your life that you might fall to at some point in your life. But yet it's not the master over your life. That God simply rules your life as that internal power within you today. It's how you see yourself. In the light of the reality of what Christ has done for you today. Believe what God has said about you even when you're not feeling it. That's it. Even when you're not feeling it. Even when you have that moment in your life because it's about faith And that's where your strength comes from to walk a greater life of righteousness. Because the more that you believe that Christ is the center of your life and that happened at conversion, the more power that you have in your life to live righteously. Understand that. It's never about you anyway or your power. It's about your belief in what Christ has done within you. That's it. That's it. That's where it begins. So let me finish with verse 12. It says this, let not sin therefore gain or reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. And, And I underline verse 14, for sin has no dominion over you since you are now under not not under law, but under grace. Here's what I leave you with. It's sin no longer rules over you. Sin no longer rules over you. Ah, oh, hey, can we do this? I, I believe that there's power in, in confession. I believe that. So can we say this? Sin no longer rules over me. On the count of three, I want us to say that very loud. One. Here it is. You ready? Two, we're going to confess this this morning. Three, sin no longer rules over me. That's powerful. That is so powerful. Why? Because we have union with Christ. That Jesus has become the centering power of our life. And no longer sin. So sin can no longer hold me captive. Paul says, before conversion, you were given over to sin. He uses the term given over to sin. What that means is this. Sin has the ability to hold you and I captive in life. And what that term means is that you and I, we could not stop sinning is what it means. Within our power... There was no ability for you and I to stop sinning. Can I tell you, for you, because of what God has done in your life, that's no longer the truth about you. Understand that. It's not because you're such a great and wonderful person, and and you are, but it's not that. It's because Jesus reigns at the center of your life. You present your bodies, as Paul said, one that has been brought from death to life. It's how God sees you. What's important for you this morning is do you believe that? 
because that's where our journey to not perfection, but that of our journey to righteousness within our lives and the righteousness that we find in Christ, that's where it begins, is believing in what God has said about us and what he's done on our behalf. That we embrace our identity. You see, what sin wants to do in your life and my life, it wants to redefine us. What sin wants to do is it wants to become the cobwebs of our heart and our mind to where that we lose a true, we lose sight of what God has said about us and how he has defined us. Sin blurs the lines, doesn't it? Yeah. We can't find our way. We're still looking, but we can't find our way because that's what sin does within us. Because why? Because sin wants to regain the place in your life that it once had. But you have a new king. And it's not the king of this world, right? And it's not the king of our passions. It's not the king of our desires. It's, it's, it's not the king of whatever f- makes us feel really good right now. It's not the king of always wanting to be right. But you have a new king, and that king is Christ in your life. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. But what it does mean is his work is perfect. <laughs> and that covers all of my imperfections. It's knowing who you are. In South Carolina, I have two minutes. In South Carolina, we have these things, these wonderful creatures called palmetto bugs. You know what a palmetto bug is? A palmetto bug is, we call them palmetto bugs in South Carolina because we don't like to say, hey, I got some roaches up in my house. You know, we don't like to say that because that sounds really bad, right? So I got some palmetto bug in my house or whatever. And, oh, well, that sounds really nice. It must be has something to do with your state, which is the palmetto state. It's, it's the state bug, I guess. I don't know, right? Yes. You get a palmetto bug in the room with you, it can scare the life out of you, can it not? I mean, you're a, you're a human being. You're, you're big. I mean, you have the ability to take its life. You treat a palmetto bug like it has fangs, like it's a bat, Right? And, and they do fly, which is a frightening thing about them. You know, a giant flying roach. That's terrible. I know. But yet, if, it's, if it takes off flying, everybody's ducking. Everybody's screaming. Everybody's leaving the room. And then you retreat. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute. It's an insect and I'm a bug. I mean, I mean, it's an insect and I'm a man, right? Yes, yeah. I think you think you're a bug, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, maybe that was the right way to say that. I just, yeah. But it's an insect and I'm a human being. And I have something that can overcome that insect. And it's called the closest shoe I can find. Have you ever noticed that we use a shoe against the palmetto bug, right? They fear a shoe. A flip-flop works awesome. Yes, it does. Yes. They fear it. Absolutely. Line your house with shoes. You'll never have them again, probably. Yes. But all of a sudden, we come to this realization of who we are. And that gives us boldness to take charge and to simply take care of business when it comes to the bug in our house. Because we back up for a moment and we realize who we are. Today, before we share in the Lord's table, 
realize who you are in Christ. Realize that this morning. That if you have had that conversion experience with the Lord, believing that Christ rules at the center of your life results in the power. It results in the power that you and I need to walk in freedom. Just as righteousness was counted to Abraham because of his faith and his belief that the freedom from sin in my life and your life is counted to us today because of our belief in what Christ has done. So the next time that you have a, a feeling and you think, man, that's the most unchristian thing I've ever, ever had thought in my life. And I guess I'm just away from God. You know, it just something or I've never had an experience with God before. And so I'll just pass it off at that. Can I tell you? No, no. You come to the point where you realize that Christ is now the internal power of your life. Sin is now the external power of your life, tempting you and trying to beguile you and trying to deceive you in life. But that does not change who you are here that you are Christ you belong to him you are his rest in that today would you bow your heads with me for a moment please father we are your children and you know our struggles God more than any earthly parent would know any friend would know you know our struggles because you know the very thoughts of our mind and the intents of our hearts. You know us. You know those moments when we struggle with our behavior. You know those moments when we, when we recount, God, how that, oh, we should have said this this way or we should have addressed this differently. You know those moments when we've even doubted, God, that, you even reign in our heart at all. Father, remind us today of who we are in you. That this is not about us or our works or our own goodness that somehow would cause us to be faithful to you. But this is about your goodness in that what you have done for us in our lives. So, Father, in this moment, as we sit before you, before we come to your table together, that you would remind us, God, powerfully by your spirit of who we are in you, God. And that, yes, we still struggle with sin. We still battle that in this life. But sin no longer masters our life. Because you have freed us from death. You have brought us life. So today, God, believing that empowers us like nothing else in this world to say no to things, to say yes to the things that we should say, to resist the enemy when he wants to reclaim what he thought was his at one time. The struggle continues, God, but you're with us. And you didn't leave us helpless. 
you didn't leave us somehow hiding in a corner somewhere, afraid of the next moment in life, but you've given us boldness, God, because of who you say we are. So set us free, God, from the guilt and set us free from the shame. Free us today, God, to live powerfully for you and to make you known to the world. And Lord, we give you thanks in your name. Amen.